0: On a hillside high above the village of Fricourt, the Bois Francais, the French wood, stands above the beacons of the Great War, the small soldiers' cemeteries that lead us across the tracks of the battlefield in spring sunshine. As the spring moves into the early summer, i found myself back on the old front line on a much more regular basis. In the past month i've been on the somme almost every week and it's good to see how the landscape is changing as the seasons change and to see visitors returning in greater numbers than the previous years that we've had on one of the trips i went over to do a recce a battlefield recce with fellow battlefield guides tim thurlow and mark allen to walk some of the ground of the Somme in preparation for a new battlefield tour that we're doing with Ledger Holidays later this year. And it gave me an opportunity as I walked that ground to record some thoughts on places that we have covered in previous podcast episodes, but it was good to kind of be there and look at the landscape, look at the cemeteries, think of the stories, and put that into perspective and put some thoughts on it while actually on the ground and I've tried to do this before with some sound issues which some of you have picked up on in previous podcast episodes but I think we've solved that now thanks largely to our podcast supporters who support via buy me a coffee and patreon it's given me using the money that we raise through the supporters to buy the right kind of kit to do this properly and that's also enabled me to record, edit and put out the first Battlefield vlog, a video podcast really where I've walked part of the grounds around Hawthorne Ridge and told that story of dear Eric Heaton, a young officer of the Middlesex Regiment who fell there on the first day of the Battle of the Somme. And that first vlog went out this weekend, it's had a good reception, I really thank all of you who've listened to it, it's on the podcast website for you to go back to and watch again or watch for the first time if you've missed it. And I hope certainly to put out more of those going forward. I think that the the video podcast, the vlogs, add something to what we do here. The main core of this is, of course, this podcast. But I think having a visual side to it as well really gives it another dimension. And I certainly, as I say, hope to explore that on a more regular basis. For now, we're going to put on our virtual boots and pick up our virtual pack and head down those dusty lanes, those spring and early summer lanes of Picardy, and walk that grounds from the area near to the town of Albert up to the Bois Francais, the French wood, which overlooked the village of Fricourt, and across to Mansell Copse, Close to Momets. I'm back on the old front line and just outside the town of Albert. Where I am at the moment, where I'm starting this walk this morning, as the sun rises over the rolling chalklands of the Somme, is in the approach to the front line areas of the Bois Francais near Fricourt. I can see the trees of the Bois Francais on the ridge in the distance beyond Citadel Military Cemetery and you can probably hear the traffic of the modern world in the backgrounds, the commuters of Albert going to work and heading off to do their shopping in the local Intermarché. The modern world continues but surrounding it is the past, the fields of the Great War, the cemeteries of the Great War, the memorials ever present and this morning we're going to have a little walk. And, and in this episode, it's going to be kind of Somme battle stories, really. Comic cuts, as they used to say about intelligence papers in the Great War from the old front line here on, on the Somme, just to give a little flavour of what these visits can often be like. And we'll dip in and out of different parts of the Somme front. And what we're here to do is walk the ground in preparation for a new walking tour that we're doing with Ledger Battlefields. But it'll take us across some of these famous Somme locations and some of the lesser-known ones as well. And this morning we start here on this track in the approach to Citadel Cemetery. The fields around me were once Citadel Camp, an area that we took over from the French in 1915. They'd been fighting up there on the ridge in the previous year when the lines had stabilised. And the French had a kind of impromptu camp in this ground at that time. And increasingly, once the British got here, the camp expanded. And by the time the Battle of the Somme began, it was and became increasingly an area of proper rest bullets. So there are photographs of it towards the end of the Battle of the Somme, showing nissen huts in this field here. And it's written about in quite a few memoirs of the Great War, Sassoon and Graves and Bernard Adams, who was here with the... All three of those were the Royal Welsh Fusiliers, I'm sure we'll dip into them as we have a look at this ground this morning. But Sidney Rogerson, who wrote 12 Days, classic memoir of an infantry officer at the fag end, the tail end of the Battle of the Somme, he was here on rest as they were going to and from the line around Le Boeuf. So this was an area behind the front, also an area not just for rest, but for the reception of wounded from the battle area. And that's how Citadel Cemetery came into being it was part of a frontline burial area so there were several cemeteries here where units that were in the front line opposite the bois francais before the battle of the somme buried their dead the french had done the same and then as the battle of the somme moved on wounded would be brought back here for treatment at dressing stations died of their wounds and they were buried in the cemetery too so it's not untypical of some of the cemeteries that are just behind the front line area in this part of the somme and we'll head on as the, the modern world, the traffic noises fade behind us, we'll head on into the cemetery. And above me I can hear skylarks and I've just heard my ever-present chiff-chaffs in the trees just beyond the road there. So the modern world, the natural world and the fields and the lanes and the history of the Great War all crisscrossing as we head up to one of those beacons of the Great War, the Silent Cities Citadel Cemetery. I've come into the Citadel New Military Cemetery and the vast open fields just behind me, I can hear the skylarks up above as I look up towards the crest of the ridge just see the tops of the trees where the bois francais is, the French wood where the French had fought the Germans in 1914 and the front line had stabilised and that's where the forward trenches were located and we're on the reverse slope of the hill here and the cemetery's tucked away so it was just out of view of the Germans, so safe ground to bury the dead without joining the dead really and this is where one of the places in this sector where men killed in that frontline area or in the approach to it were brought back for burial and as we've said previously later on in the Battle of the Somme this became a reception area for wounded and as good as the British medical arrangements were men died of their wounds and so the plot that I'm looking at now, for example, which contains men from the Guards Division and the 16th Irish Division, is from that period of the fighting around Jean-Chi, Ginchy and Guillemont, Guillemont uh, in the kind of August-September period of 1916. And there's quite a few Guards officers buried in there, and a senior officer as well, Brigadier General Philpotts. We often hear that phrase, generals die in bed. But... When we look at the history of the Great War, we don't have to go too far, travel too far to find the graves of senior officers like this, Brigadier General and above. And he was a Commander Royal Artillery, so he was the senior gunner of an infantry division in charge of the artillery assets of that unit. It was his job to work out the fire plans for bombardments, defensive fire, the positioning of artillery units, and then asking for additional artillery beyond his own formation, heavy guns to support a bombardment and so on. And those kind of men, they did work behind the lines. They needed a safe area to uh, to prepare their plans and work on the intelligence that they received. But they were part of a, a tradition of officers who felt that the only way they could really understand a battle situation was to go up there and see that grounds themselves. And he was killed on a... well, he died of wounds received in a a reconnaissance of that ground and his ADC is buried, uh, buried next to him. So it shows that really no rank, no class, no background, no status in civil life really protected you from the realities of being here on these battlefields of the Great War. The cemeteries reflect the whole strata of society I can see around me now. Working class lads from the Duke of Wellington's Regiment, Lancashire Fusiliers, Scotsmen, men from the border region, Manchester regiment men, right through to public school boys, Guy Baring MPs buried in here, Phil Potts himself went through that traditional route, public school into Sandhurst. So it, it kind of shows that these cemeteries reflect British society at the time of the Great War. And in that, you know, when I come to them, for me, they're not just places of memorial, they're not just where heroes rest and all all those kind of phrases. It's much more than that, they're time capsules, they're places where we can really reach out and touch the history of the Great War, where we can see what happened in places like this when we see a collection of men from a particular date and then when we look at the backgrounds we can see the sort of men that joined the forces and, and where they came from, the factories, the mines, the agricultural land of Britain. And it reflects all of that as well so that's the fascination i think it's the people of the great war the men and the women who served and the repercussions of the deaths of soldiers buried in cemeteries like this and it connects us as well to the men who survived because most men survived the great war they weren't all killed when we come to the battlefields today and we see these cemeteries it's easy to think that no one came home but the majority came home But it does connect us to those veterans as well because the men who survived, they buried their comrades in cemeteries like this. They never forgot that. The interviews that I did with veterans in the 80s and 90s, they'd often reflect on the comrades that they'd lost. And later on in this walk, we're going to get to a cemetery where the mate of one of the veterans that I interviewed is buried. And we'll talk about that. And I think it connects us to them as well because we come here now, that generation has gone. But it's still connects us to them when we think that men once stood here in groups in sections in platoons possibly even companies and a much beloved comrade was laid to rest in one of these simple soldier cemeteries just behind the lines and those men never forgot that that name that was on a cross then that's on a headstone carved in stone now they never forgot it and I think it's part of our duty to not forget that too and I think that is one of the many things that we get when we come to cemeteries like this. We've walked further up towards the ridge line and I can see the trees even better now of the Bois Francais, the French wood, just ahead of me on the crest of the ridge there. That's where the front lines were located and I'm on a track between Citadel Cemetery and that front line, former front line area. There's a lot of mine craters in the wood there from uh, the static period of trench warfare that was here in 1915 and early 1916 when initially the French and the Germans were blowing mines and then eventually tunnellers from the Royal Engineers, 183 Tunnelling Company was very active on this part of the front. And when we walk up this track and there's a, the battlefields are ever changing, you know we know that when we visit these places and there's a new system of tracks here that's moved the track from one side of Point 110 new military cemetery that I'm in now to the other side. So the landscape changes, but it still has that resonance of the battles of more than a century ago. And here there are two point one one o cemeteries, point one one o new and point one one o old point one one oh hundred and ten meters above sea level, one of the contours on the maps here. and these were on a reverse slope away from the front line area, so again safe enough to bury your your dead without being shot at or spied on observed by uh, by the Germans, and these are kind of regimental burial grounds, battalion burial grounds from the units that held the line here, and as you walk up from Citadel, and they're much smaller cemeteries, so Citadel's what, about just over 350 burials, these are much smaller, around about 100 or so, and they're all known, they're all identified because they were buried here by their, their comrades, and they reflect... Not the big battles that took place on the Somme in 1916, but those quiet periods in the lead-up to it from 1915 through to the months before the 1st of July. And here at Point 110 New is a row of graves of men from the 1st Battalion Royal Welsh Fusiliers. Now this is a heavily written-about battalion. There were three authors up here, two of them significant 20th-century writers who witnessed what happened here in that quiet period before the Somme. And one of those was Siegfried Sassoon, the other was Robert Graves, and the third was Bernard Adams. Sassoon wrote memoirs of a fox-hunting man and memoirs of an infantry officer that cover this period. Graves eventually wrote his memoirs, Goodbye to All That!, And Bernard Adams, the lesser-known one of the three, wrote Nothing of Importance, which is a really fabulous memoir. He was wounded in the lead-up to the Battle of the Somme, and when he was recuperating from his wounds, he wrote the manuscript that became that book that was published during the war and then eventually republished and has been republished since, and we'll put a bit of a lead to that onto the podcast website. But those three memoirs, written from the perspective of officers, of course, give us a bit of an insight into this part of the line in that quiet period. And, and the title of Adams' book, Nothing of Importance, reflects the nature of what happened here. This is not the headline battles of the Great War. This is the day-to-day activities of trench warfare that don't really appear in the big histories, but nevertheless reflect the experience of soldiers who served on parts of the front like this throughout the four years of the First World War. But in All of their memoirs, they mentioned an incident here in March 1916 where the battalion had been in the line for a while. It was a quiet sector. There were still raids and shelling and trench mortars coming over and all that kind of stuff. But they had not suffered that many casualties. And I think it was the adjutant said one day, do you know what, we have not suffered any officer casualties since we've been here. And he realised what he'd said. He tempted fate and they all rushed to touch wood in the side of the trench for a bit of luck. And within a couple of days, three of them were killed. Tracker Richardson, one of the company commanders, he'd been out since 1914. Captain Richardson, his grave is in here. He had taken part in the Christmas Truce in 1914, up in northern France, not far from Bois Grenier. And David Thomas, who was much beloved by both Siegfried Tassoun and Robert Graves. You kind of feel there was a bit of a tussle for for his affection, really, when they were out of the line. They would go to Amiens on local leave to, to go and eat and drink in the best restaurants there but this closeness that they had as young officers here you know was a special kind of love that existed between these men bound by the experience of trench warfare and, and life in the line very different kind of life to the ones that they'd had before the war particularly for Sassoon who came from this very privileged background and David Thomas when he was killed he was shot through the throats and died and they couldn't save him and it broke Sassoon and also, to a degree, broke Graves, I think. And they both write about this incident. There's a very good description in Graves' book of them burying Thomas and the other officers here as the shells are crumping on the skyline and the Padres reading the lesson. And for Sassoon, I think it kind of changed him, that he he lost all kind of hope. His brother had been killed at Gallipoli the the year before. His world had changed forever. And someone that he loved and cared for, David Thomas, who in his book he calls Dick Tiltwood, He'd lost him, and he kind of had a death wish, I think, really. And um, he put himself in a lot of danger. He didn't endanger others, but he put himself in a lot of danger. And he went out to rescue Corporal O'Brien up on the ridge there, near one of the mine craters after a raid. His grave is back in Citadel Cemetery. We just visited that earlier. And Sassoon went out to go and pick him up, brought him in under fire, for which he got the military cross. Sadly, O'Brien couldn't be saved either, and he was buried in Citadel Cemetery, having died of his wounds and for that Sassoon was awarded the MC. When the MC was confirmed, there was no ribbon in the battalion stocks, uh, so they couldn't give him a ribbon to sew on his tunic, so the medical officer, who had a great admiration for Sassoon, peeled off, untacked his own MC ribbon and gave it to Sassoon to put on his tunic. And I think this is one of the kind of contradictions, really, when you you read Sassoon's work. On the one hand, you know, he went on to protest against the war with his letter to the Times later on in 1917. But, you know, one fellow officer once described him as one of the greatest pacifists of the period, but also one of the best company commanders in the British Army. And there he was, this this tough, determined soldier, caring for his men and doing what he could to try and save their lives um, and fighting the enemy, And killing the enemy but on the other hand he protested against the war and got more and more bitter. Now whether he speaks for an entire generation you know we could fill a podcast with that and the same with Graves but I think they're interesting insights into soldiers experience of the of the Great War. Sassoon's view of it is no more or less valid than any ordinary soldier that was uh, that was here but he wrote about it extensively and I think we're lucky to have those kind of accounts because it does give us an insight into the kind of wider experience of the Great War, and the same with uh, with Graves, although it's interesting, really, with both of them, with memoirs of a fox-hunting man and memoirs of an infantry officer, and Graves' as goodbye to all that. They are autobiography, but they're semi-fictionalised autobiography, and it felt that both of them, really, could not come to terms with their own war without fictionalising it to a certain degree and you see that a lot with soldiers experience not just in the first war but in the second you know I kind of sit here and there's the skylarks above me and I, I kind of think of many memoirs of World War II of Normandy and Italy where men who survived that went on to write about it but could only deal with it by fictionalizing it by almost taking one step back from their experience and turning it into a work of fiction because if it was real it was too much to deal with It's an interesting thought, really, when you come to places like this. And here they stand with these Portland Stone headstones in this tiny little corner of northern France, well off the beaten track. I mean, your coaches don't come down here. It's only walking, really, that you can get to this. You can drive part of the way down, and this new road has made that a bit easier. But it's well off the beaten track, and here they are, like sentinels to the Great War, linking us to these stories... And all of the headstones do it. As I said in Citadel, That they are time capsules, these cemeteries. Each one of these stones has a story. Each one of these men buried in here loved, were loved, had hopes and dreams and fears, aspirations and everything else cut short by the war. And we can find out really so much about all of them. And these are the things that we kind of reflect on when we come to cemeteries like this. But again, as I said in Citadel, What links us to the graves of those three Royal Welsh Fusilier officers that are here is the memoirs of survivors. So it's not just about the dead, it's about those who went home and then had to deal with it. And I think when you read Sassoon's work, he never forgot David Thomas, Dick Tiltwood, and lived with the memory of the loss of him for the rest of his lives, as so many men who went through this conflict did. We've walked a little bit further along the track now to point one one oh Old Cemetery, and these old and new cemeteries reflect the naming, reflects the fact that one was used first and the other one was then used later. This one, Old, was actually a French burial ground, and where I'm standing in the initial plot of British graves is a bit of open lawn there that once had French graves on it. And I've come to see a grave that I try and visit every time I come to this area of the Somme, which is Private William L. Beckington of the Royal West Kents, who died on the 25th of August 1915. This is Bill Beckington. He was the best friend of a great war veteran that I knew, Frank Bastable. They served together in the 7th Battalion, the Royal West Kent, part of the 18th Eastern Division, which is one of these new army, these Kitcheners Divisions formed in 1914. And although this wasn't a POWs battalion, it was recruited from a specific area of West Kent. Lots of little villages and the towns there around Maidstone and so on. And they would joined up together. They were best POWs. They'd been in training together and they come to the front line together. And they'd only arrived a couple of weeks before this. And this was part of their first initial stint in the front line area. And Bill said to Frank, he said, I've never seen a German. You know, I want to see a German. What does a German look like? We're fighting them. Who are these Germans? And he stood on the firestep, put his head over the parapet to have a look at the German lines and ping. Rifle shot, came out, shot him in the top of the head, killed him instantly. And they were wearing soft caps. They hadn't been issued with steel helmets. Whether that would have saved his life, who knows? But he was thrown back into the back of the trench and he was dead, killed in action, and they buried him here. And Frank said that it kind of changed him. A bit like Sassoon with the death of David Thomas. It changed him. And he never really felt the same about people again. He said he never really had close friendships after he'd lost Bill Beckington because he always feared that he would lose somebody. And again, you know, it's not just wealthy, entitled people like Sassoon. It's ordinary working class lads like Frank Bastable who loses his best friend Bill Beckington here. That affects him for the rest of his life. And this is one of the many stories that we can take away when we visit cemeteries like this on the Somme. We've walked now down into the wooded glade that is the Devonshire Cemetery overlooking the village of Mamet. I can see the rooftops of the houses in Mamet's village just ahead of me there. And that was part of the objective on the first day of the Battle of the Somme. And We've had a podcast about this cemetery before and you can go back through the podcast listings to find that one on the Devonshire Cemetery. But it's good on this walk having looked at writers and the soldiers and the stories of the men that fought in this area of the Somme to end here on this walk. There's so many stories in here, I mean for a start this is a cemetery pretty much devoted to one regiment apart from a couple of gunners, they're all Devonshire regiment men from the 8th and the 9th battalions that took part in the attack here on the first day of the Battle of the Somme. These were veteran battalions, if you like. They'd served in a previous battle, the Battle of Lewes. And I'm standing in front of the grave of William Noel Hodgson, who has the MC after his name, the Military Cross. And his Military Cross was for bravery in the Battle of Lewes in 1915. And this was a battalion that, on the eve of the Battle of the Somme, having occupied this ground here, and the woods around me is Mansell Copse, named after... Mansell Pleidle, one of the officers of the Devonshire Regiment, who was killed or died of wounds earlier in 1916 before the Battle of the Somme. And this was a battalion assembling for this battle. And I think amongst the officers there was a degree of pessimism. I, mean, I bet if you've been in a battle like they had been and you were told you know, before the Battle of Luz that it was going to be a walkover, a cakewalk, whatever phrase they used, and then it wasn't, and then you're told that again on the eve of the Somme, you're going to be a little bit sceptical, I would guess. And when you read William Noel Hodgson's poetry, which he wrote in the lead up to the Battle of the Somme, before action in which he essentially predicts his own death here, you can do, sense a degree of pessimism in that. And as I walk to the end of the cemetery here, and it is a, it's not quite a mass burial, but it's a trench burial. They're buried in the trench that ran through here. And Tim Godden has done a lot of work on trench cemeteries like this one. Uh, he's dissertation looking at this is really fascinating and we've had Tim on the podcast talking about that before and we come to the end to this collective grave at the end in which there's a number of officers and men of the Devonshire Regiment including Captain D. L. Martin, Duncan Lennox Martin and he's that fascinating character who what was he really before the Great War? Was he a member of the intelligence services traveling around different parts of the world? Was he an artist? Who was he? And He made a plasticine model of the battlefield here and predicted that if this machine gun and that machine gun and that machine gun were knocked out, then if they advance into that ground, they'd be hit by that machine gun fire and they'd suffer casualties. And he was proved exactly right uh, when he and so many of the men buried in this cemetery were killed. So we've got that story and he's connected to 2nd Lieutenant Rayner from Wadhurst in Sussex, who's buried a bit further up. Rainer's father had owned a shop, had business in London, of which Martin was somehow connected to that. It's a curious story, you know, what brought them two together in that way, and they ended up serving in the same battalion. And Martin and Hodgson killed advancing down the slopes. There's some rapeseed in the field behind me there. Sunshine coming across the crest of the ridge. You can hear the birds in the background. That's where Hodgson and Martin were killed and Rayner got across No Man's Land and towards and into the German trench area and was killed in the fighting there. And then this cemetery was made by bringing in the dead from the surrounding battlefield to be buried here afterwards, creating not a unique cemetery, because there are other trench cemeteries, but certainly here on the Somme, a very poignant place to come to, to visit and see the Devonshire Cemetery. And... Originally, as part of the burials that were here, there was a wooden placard that read, the Devonshires held this trench, the Devonshires hold it still, and that's now perpetuated in the memorial by the main entrance. And the whole site is kind of part of the history of the Great War, because when you walk up the path, up the steps into the cemetery, you're following the line of the trench. And Mark and Tim, who were with me, they were just looking at linesmen, the digital trench map system and matching it up with that and seeing that yes indeed that pathway into the cemetery follows the line of the trench so again this is one of those places where it's a beacon to the great war a cemetery like this there's the stories of the men there's the fact that it sits in the modern landscape surrounded by the natural world and then there's the aspects of the landscape of the great war that connects into it as well and i think that's what makes visits to places like this again so fascinating you've been listening to an episode of the old frontline with me military historian paul reed you can follow me on twitter at somcor you can follow the podcast at old frontline pod check out the website at oldfrontline.co.uk where you'll find lots of podcast extras and photographs and links to books that are mentioned in the podcast. And if you feel like supporting us, you can go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash oldfrontline, or support us on Buy Me A Coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash oldfrontline. Links to all of these are on our website. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again soon.